This is Cody Daigle Oriens, and welcome to Bearded Fruit Unedited, the raw conversations that are edited down into the final versions of our podcasts. These conversations contain the outtakes that don't make it into our program, so if you enjoyed the completed episode, you might find something worth chewing on here. Enjoy, and make sure you follow us at www.beardedfruit.com for new episodes. Are we talking? Are we? We are talking. I, uh, hi, my body is being used as a pop blocker. <laughs> it certainly is. I give you the best quotes to start these things off with. You're welcome. You do. <clears throat> Hi, this is Cody Daigle-Oriens. And this is Neil Daigle-Oriens. And we're back for another episode of Bearded Fruit. Yay! Bearded Fruit. That, okay. <laughs> That's our new jingle. It's three notes. Yeah, we've had uh, a really fun week. I'm going to surprise you with a, with a topic. Okay. Uh, we've had a really fun week. We got to go to a ball last night. Oh, wow. That's so surprising. Did we? Yeah, we did. We got I to go to... I uh, couldn't um, even uh, remember that. The House of Escada, one of the Hartford um, drag... Houses. We got to go to one of their balls last night, and it was a. Uh, it was everything. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, there was life being given. Yeah, um, there was dancing. There was voguing. There were categories. There was a an MC who was not waiting around for people to uh, take their sweet time to get to the floor. Yeah, she was not having it. No, and thank goodness for her. We got home at three. It was great. Yeah, but it was a cool evening, though. It was really cool to sort of experience that world in a contemporary context because I've only ever really experienced it through Paris's burning, which is uh, 25 years old now. You know, I also, in hearing the, the actual music that they use um, for their walks and for their categories and whatnot, suddenly Rashad Newsom's work made so much sense because mm-hmm. I never understood why the snares were so hard and why the, the four beat was, was so harsh. And suddenly it made sense. It's because that's literally what they use. Yeah. Death drops everywhere. Oh my god, it was so great. Uh, there were so many death drops. Realness with a twist was my favorite category. I was so not expecting it. There was a bunch of dudes wearing white shirts and jeans, and then they had Vogue battles with each other. Yeah, so they were serving both the masculine and the more feminine sides of... Um, it was everything. The ball culture. Yeah, it was really, it was everything. It was, it was everything. <clears throat> So this week we're going to start with something that happened last Sunday. The Oscars happened last Sunday. Yay! Uh, many, talk. sorry, many people won Oscars, and it was a rather uh, not a single one of them was named Oscar. Not a single one was named Oscar, or even had an uncle named Oscar for that matter. But everybody was thinking about race for the Oscars because of Oscars so white and the lack of black uh, performer nominees in the main categories. Mm-hmm. So uh, and Chris Rock had a delivered a really scathing opening monologue. And made about... a really awkward Asian joke that yeah. nobody appreciated. <laughs> but the queer people were not left out of the controversy on Sunday because Sam Smith, thankfully, uh, made a major faux pas when he was accepting his award for Best Original Song. Uh, for his, in his acceptance speech, Sam Smith suggested that he was the very first openly gay Oscar winner. Uh, he was only a little bit wrong, just a slight bit wrong. Tea tiny bit. There were 12 previous 
openly gay Oscar winners. Um, and uh, he can't really be given a pass because they like they were obscure Oscar winners, like in Best Sound Design or Best Sound Editing or Best Documentary Short. No, these were Oscar winners like uh, Elton John, Howard Ashman, um, Alan Ball, Bill Condon. Elton John's kind of a big deal. Stephen... Slightly. Stephen Sondheim. Also kind of a big also deal. Also kind of a big deal. So he was number 13 out of, uh, in the history of openly gay Oscars. Ooh, that makes him Judas. Yeah. So in in his defense, he was quoting, he was misquoting an Ian McKellen comment. Ian McKellen had said in, a, in an article, I think last year, that there were no openly gay Oscar winners in the acting categories. There had never been an openly gay actor, uh, acting Oscar winner. Uh, so he was vaguely in the ballpark of correct. But still, if you're going to be an Oscar nominee and be preparing your speech, you should know if you're the first openly gay Oscar winner ever well, before I... you say it. I know I can say as a white gay myself, we don't do our research. We don't do it. <laughs> no, we don't. What's research? Who cares? And and Sam Smith himself invented gayness um, after Macklemore hypothesized it in Same Love. That was a joke I stole from Tumblr. Thanks, Tumblr. But so his this comment made uh, the LGBT community unhappy because uh, here is this very famous, very uh, well-known... Openly gay person. Very young. Very yeah. young openly gay person. And on a very public stage, making a huge ass of himself for not knowing his history. And to be fair, it's not the first time he's made a huge ass of himself. Right. Like when he went on that whole like, oh, grinders ruining gay people rant. That was pretty great. Thanks, Sam. Well, he also, and then he also made a fool of himself in the press room after because he, one of the reporters mentioned Howard Ashman, who was a two-time Oscar winner for Best Original Song. He won Oscars for Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid. As so he won the same Oscar that Sam mm-hmm. Smith won. And Sam Smith's comment was, oh, I should know him. We should date. Uh, but Howard Ashman died in 1991 due to complications relating to AIDS. And... Um, Yeesh. So dating would be difficult. Yikes. Would I, be difficult. I mean, he might be in a necromancy. He might be. He might have a book somewhere where he could read an enchantment and bring Howard Ashman back to life. I don't think that would be fair to Howard Ashman. And that's how Howard Ashman scored Finding Dory. Mm-hmm. Um, so the LGBT community was very unhappy with this moment. And um, in The Guardian this week, there was an op-ed by... Author name. Owen Jones called. Do you want to say that whole thing over again? Yeah, so I will. You've got one? Okay. So the LGBT community was very upset by this, and it spawned an op ed in The Guardian by Owen Jones called Sam Smith's Oscar Faux Pas Shows LGBT People. LG- Sam Smith's Oscar faux pas shows LGBT people must learn their history. Uh, And in this op-ed, he makes a rather important point that it is incredibly important for members of the LGBT community or any marginalized community to know their history because knowing your history is of great value to your movement. So he says this, this is a critical point that LGBT people who have suffered millennia of persecution and prejudice stand on the shoulders of giants, 
of people who endured misery and sacrifice to achieve the rights and freedoms we have today. For people like, say, Howard Ashman, being an accomplished lyricist and openly gay was significantly harder than it is today, not least at the height of the HIV-AIDS crisis. People like him made it easier for those who came afterwards, including Smith. Yeah, Sam. Yeah, I think that's an incredibly trenchant point. And this, there does seem to be um, a, a kind of relaxed attitude toward knowing our complicated history in young gay people, young queer people, mm-hmm. um, because it is much easier to be openly gay today than it has ever been before. Mm-hmm. This is another moment where I get to say that's what Rent did right. <laughs> Rent, like the movie version at least, um, sort of taught a young younger generation, myself included, what the AIDS epidemic was like and opened that conversation. Not necessarily like super informative, but it opened the conversation. Hey, this was a thing. People were dying and nothing was nobody was doing anything outside of the organizers who were trying their hardest. Um so that's another another way that Neil can say rent what rent got right. That should be a segment. We should do that. We're not going to do that. Okay. But so I want to talk about this this the importance of knowing our history and why that is so crucial to our movement continuing to succeed um, as we as we move forward. I think there is a complacency among particularly gay people. Not necessarily in trans people or queer people of color or bi people who so. So when you say that, you mean gay whites? I mean, sure. I mean, gay white, gay men. white men. There is a complacency of, of toward our history, toward the very difficult journey that we've all made to get where we are. Because now we're in a moment where white gay men, particularly, are relatively not marginalized. We can move through the world as our straight male white counterparts. With very little difference in the experience. And yet there's this entire history that we are now unaware of and ignoring. I, I think it's clear that a lot of young gay men don't really understand the history of the AIDS crisis and how that impacted our community and how it impacted the country. We, You can look at the Stonewall movie and see the Stonewall movie that was done by Roland Emmerich and, and see that there isn't really a care and concern for the inclusion of queer people of color and trans people in the history that we have. They didn't think it would be a big deal. They didn't think anybody would know any better. And to some degree, some a lot of white gay guys didn't know any better and still were like, yay, white well, character who didn't exist. And, and like, to make it worse, they decided, they explicitly decided in a very capitalist way that a story about a um, trans woman of color would not sell so they had to they had to write something else and what's really frustrating about that movie itself is that the story itself is so compelling and stonewall seems like such an like unnecessary plot device for that that story would have been compelling without stonewall about a young man from the midwest who can't find love and can't find acceptance moving to new york and finding it and like finding this community that is something I would want to watch, and Stonewall was just something they were just like, oh, let's connect this to something that actually happened. And when, it, particularly it's frustrating because Stonewall as a story is incredibly powerful in itself. In itself, yeah, this by itself. This moment of people who are extremely marginalized in that particular historical moment, queer, trans women mostly, mm-hmm. 
to rise up against the police and make a statement, a declaration of their validity of existence. That's an incredibly powerful story. Mm-hmm. And does it need the extra story to mm-hmm. be valid or important? Yeah, it's also really interesting for people who are who really want to research it. It's really interesting to see how the mafia ties into all that because a lot of these gay bars were protected by the mafia from the police. But not in a, oh, the mafia's looking out. It's definitely, like, a shady deal regardless. So that's an interesting twist where it's like, come on, M. Night Shyamalan, make that movie, but with black people. Twists. So for for people who don't know us personally, uh, I am almost 40 and Neil is 25. And I'm curious if you could... I am 25, yes. You I are forgot 25. my age. <laughs> I, do you see this kind of historical ignorance in other gay people your age? Well, I think um, something that kind of proves that is the resistance among younger gay men to embrace a drug like Truvada because there is an act- there's a stigma for taking the drug. So as a result, there's the, the rate of new HIV and AIDS, uh, not HIV infections is pretty much the same for younger people, but it's actually dropping for older people because older people are more accepting of that form of protection. And it's because we, we are born in a, in, a, in a day and age where we aren't losing our best friends at the age of 22, 24, 25. We're not seeing them slowly wither away in our hands, and we're not seeing a government that's doing nothing about it, and we don't have powerful nonprofits to help with those services. <coughs> That was hot, right? Sorry. So I think um, I think there is a definite complacency, but I also I I, I think that's just a thing that's that happens with with the pro. I think that's something that happens with the progress of time, regardless. Because if you look at other things, like if you look at the narrative of Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks is taught as a woman who was just tired and didn't want to get up when in reality she was a trained activist who stayed on the bus regardless so she what was that about i'm sorry anyways okay anyway um so the narrative about rosa parks is that she was just this old lady who was tired when in reality she was a young woman who was trained to be an activist and she was trained to not leave her bus uh, seat. So that kind of narrative just happens over the passage of time. And for whatever reason, people want to change the narrative or it happens without our control regardless. So as a result, and, and then also you add on to the fact that when we're talking specifically about queer history, queer history is not taught in schools. We aren't taught that there was an AIDS epidemic. That, that isn't even gleamed upon in our textbooks because it involves gay people, and youth cannot be subjected to anything queer at all by, by, by any means. So schools are not going to teach that. So how the hell are we supposed to learn it? Are we supposed to watch this Stonewall movie that is terrible and inaccurate? There, and that's, that's what Rent gets right. Like, Rent does open that conversation up, so, like, yay for that. But, like, after that, I had to do research. Like, I had to be engaged in, like, figuring out that this was a real thing that was really happening to people and, and, and realizing that, that that's part of my history, that I'm connected to that. Well, but that's – I think that's, that's the, 
that's the responsibility of being part of a marginalized community. You have to go out and find the resources because they're not going to be given to you. You know, for for people who for young gay men and for young gay men and women who don't really understand the AIDS epidemic, there is an incredible book called "And the Band Played On" by by Randy Schultz, who writes eloquently and powerfully the entire history of the epidemic. And granted, it's a giant read, but you can't get through it and not be completely changed in your understanding and in the way you feel about your community and its relation to our government and to to understand how how our marginalization as a as gay men particularly led to AIDS growing the way that it did mm-hmm. and it you do have a responsibility to go out and seek your history when it's not handed to you i mean i don't i don't necessarily think that we can give young gay people a pass just because it's not handed to them. I think we are responsible as members of a community that are still trying to find its place in the world to go out and find out where we came from. Right, but you're talking from a place where you've done that. Isn't it also our responsibility to help people find that? Like, yes, sure, it should be my responsibility as a marginalized person to seek out my own story. But shouldn't older, like, shouldn't older marginalized people help me along that way? Well, yes, and and so I had a, I had a Twitter interaction that speaks to this. Twitter action. There was uh, a young man. I shared the story from the Guardian, the, the op-ed piece from the Guardian, and um, I was tweeted at by this young gay guy in the UK, who objected to the author's use of the word must. He was like, I, I don't appreciate that he they, he uses the word must. Like, I must know my history. So I discount the story. Mm. And I took great issue with that. I said, well, that's like that's like a really semantic argument over – you, are you re- literally going to dismiss an entire completely valid thing to say because you don't feel like somebody should tell you you must? Here is a person in the community who knows the history telling a younger person, hey – it's really important that we know more than Sam Smith does about our LGBT history. And from that place of youthful privilege, he was able to say like, oh, you know, I don't like that he said must, so I'm not going to have to listen to it. I don't like that I have to put effort into knowing something, so I don't want to know it to begin with. Yeah, and, I, you know, we talk a lot about privilege in our episodes, but I feel like that's for young gay people. They're coming from this place of privilege of Mm -hmm. living in a world without these incredible struggles. Yeah. And that's not to discount what struggles do exist. True. And that's not to say that, that it's not really hard to be queer in very specific situations. Like, even being white and male, it's still very, very hard to be gay in the South. It's still very, it's still hard, very to be... hard to be gay in rural areas. And to be femme in a yeah. lot of places. Yeah, so it, it's not to discount those struggles that are very real and very much so affect people and incite a lot of violence still to this day. But we do also live in a society that openly shares information. We live in a society that openly archives information in a way where it's like you could go to a library Granted, if you have access to a library, that's a whole different conversation entirely. But we have access to our story in a way that we didn't. We have access to our history in a way that the AIDS activists in the 80s didn't have. Mm -hmm. We we do have access to that. And 
it is up to us to seek that out, but it's also, I mean, talking about privilege, it, it's up to the people who do know that story to tell that story and to continue to tell that story and to continue to broadcast that story in a way that's accurate and reflects history and gives it its agency and makes it better. So this is something that uh, comes straight from the Guardian piece, which I think is a great way to wrap up our conversation about it. Uh, This is a quote. We surely have to remember past heroes, prominent or not, for two reasons. Firstly, because the least we can do is to remember those who fought at such cost for our rights and freedoms. To ensure that those ignored or demonized or persecuted in their time are eventually vindicated by history. And secondly, because it encourages us to continue in their tradition to overcome all forms of oppression and prejudice, whoever happens to be on the receiving end. Oh, that's nice. It's beautiful. That's and nice. You go, what, what's your name, Owen Jones? You Owen go. Jones. You and go, it, Owen Jones. It ties right into the other thing that I wanted to talk about this week. Uh, and I'll reiterate from the last part of that quote. Um, to overcome all forms of oppression and prejudice, whoever happens to be on the receiving end. Keep that in mind as I tell you about our friend, Joseph R. Murray. Now, Joseph R. Murray wrote uh, an op-ed in the USA Today this past week, um, which is mostly infuriating. So, Joseph R. Murray is a lawyer, a conservative commentator, and a former campaign official for Pat Buchanan. And he's gay. And he wrote uh, an op-ed called, Gay and Transgender Movements Need a Divorce. Language. So, here's what Murray is basically saying. Murray is basically saying that at this point in our movement, it's pretty much time for the T in the LGBT community, that's our transgender friends, for the T to spill somewhere else. Yeah, I was going to say. I was going to make that joke. It's going to spill somewhere else. And that the the L and the G, particularly lesbians and gays, uh, should have their own movement and be sort of in their own place. I don't know. He doesn't really say what he wants to do with the bees. Like, I guess he figures the bees have little, a lot of options on their own. So on the Qs or the yeah, A's. Like, he's not really thinking about the bees. But he's mostly concerned about making sure that transgender people stay in their movement and the L's and the G's stay in 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 ours, as he says. So here is his question. But is the plight of the trans person the same as the gay or lesbian person? Are gay and transgender folks one and the same? Or is there a good cause to argue that L and G should drop the T from their movement? Now, because... Murray is a former campaign manager for Pat Buchanan, as you can expect. Most of his argument is really transphobic. Yeah. He's really demeaning toward toward trans people, and he fundamentally doesn't understand the what the the transgender community is, is asking for, particularly in relation to these bathroom laws that are now popping up all over the place, which is really where his, his ire is raised. Um, Murray doesn't want the gay community to rally behind the transgender community's fight against these bathroom bills because it is going to waste our good political will, the good political will that we have earned with marriage and all these other things. Mm -hmm. First of all, (laughs) 
I mean, respectability politics, really? That's what you're going to argue? Secondly, the lesbian experience is radically different from the gay male experience. So even saying, is the transgender experience... Like, of course it's different. Of course it's different. The white gay male experience is drastically different from the black gay male experience. That doesn't mean that we're not united in a struggle. That doesn't mean that we can't advocate for each other. Like... Who the hell is this guy, and where does he get off saying this? I told you, he is a... I know, I know who he is. <laughs> I have I um, have that context, thank you. But, like, oh, the bathrooms thing, like, our bathrooms at home are gender neutral. How is that... Why is that such a hard thing? Sorry, that's digression, but still. Oh. Well, no, but... So, what's... Granted, you can expect this kind of transphobic commentary from someone like Murray... Because of his conservative and, like, radical conservative background. But this argument is something that I hear from your run-of-the-mill gay folks, too. I hear them saying the same thing. You can see them in the comments on on, uh, gay blogs and things. You can see them writing blog posts about it. There is this feeling among gay and lesbian folks that... We've really come a long way. Like we've got marriage. We're moved. We're like in the mainstream. All of these things are really positive for us. You hear a lot. Of, I hear a lot of them saying, "Do we really need to get involved in that movement because that could maybe damage where we are?" And their concerns are a little different than ours. So maybe it's time now that we're over here. Maybe it's time for you, uh, transgender community, to work on your own things because it's very different from us. And that's not coming from radically conservative commentators like Murray. Those yeah. are coming from like just regular folks like you and me. Well, I think in, in what I've seen, and this clearly is not a very good like quantitative uh, study, but in what I've seen, that is also a generational thing. It's definitely older gays who are more likely to be saying that than it is people my age. And that's because people my age are... We're growing up in a time where RuPaul, and and not that RuPaul's trans, but we're growing up in a time where Laverne Cox is nominated for awards, and we're growing up in a time where Janet Mock is doing amazing things, and Laura Jane Grace is singing about her gender dysphoria. We're growing up in a time where we're seeing transgender people, so we're able to identify with transgender people instead of just ignoring them. And it's the same people who are making this argument who are also cis-washing the Stonewall story, I guess that's the best way to put it. But it's the same people who make this argument that are willing and actively erasing history in regards to transgender people. Um, it's 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 the same it's the same argument, and it's invalid in both cases, if you ask me, because it just it doesn't make sense. It doesn't account for the similarities that we do have, and to say that they're they're different struggles fundamentally ignores the fact that all of our struggles are different intersectionality affects all of us differently so we all have different oppressions that affect us differently so to just say that it's simply a different struggle just isn't valid enough and strong enough to really just be like no bye well and i think it also invalidates what is really at the core of putting lgbt all together anyway mm-hmm. at the core of our 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 cohesiveness as a community is that we are living lives that are outside of the mainstream Mm 
mm-hmm. that we're 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 creating these these familial structures, we're creating relationship structures that are are not the ones that you see every day on the street. I'm not really like And and the thing is though is that like we're as especially as white gay men, we are now part of the power structure because yeah marriage exists because people like neil patrick harris and and david burka are so famous in how they're raising their kids together because of modern family showing two white gay men together raising a family we are suddenly becoming like it's no longer a valid claim for me to apply for a diversity scholarship just because i'm a white queer from the midwest and i'm perfectly okay with that because I know I'm coming from a place of like extreme privilege that even though I'm from the Midwest and it was really hard growing up, I also have a lot of doors open for me, especially in this contemporary moment. I have a ton of doors open for me. Um, so, well, and I, I think as a, as, as someone who is part of that generation that navigated this, this switch that I came of age in a time when it was still incredibly difficult to be openly gay um, you know, like when, when I came out to my family, the first question that my mom asked, or not, it wasn't really a question, but the first thing my mom said was that she was afraid I would die of AIDS. That was like the first response to my coming out mm-hmm. was that that's the world I came out in. And so just in the 20 years since I've come out, uh, 21 years now, to be part of that generation of of people who have gone from you can't be out in school, you can't let anybody know that you're openly gay. You'll never get a job. You're going to come out and then you're going to get AIDS and die. That's what that's what's going to happen to because you. Because you can't get AIDS if you're in Yeah, the I mean like that's those all of those that world has I've watched that world turn into this world, which is so like radically radically different. I'm married which I never thought was possible. Thanks, Connecticut. Yeah, like I never really, I never imagined when I was just coming out that marriage and potentially family would be part of my life story. Um, You're welcome. Where was I going with that? I don't know. You are just wanted to be sappy for a minute and tell the world how much you love me? No. Okay. Well, that little sidebar will be for the unedited version. <laughs> <laughs> But I think coming back to the coming back to the point, um, the the quote from the guy who said that we had to stand up for oppression even when it's not around. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. So, so coming back to our conversation about how this intersects with with history, how this rejection of white gay men mostly and the the l and the g communities the rejection of the transgender community and wanting to push it out um it comes back to this idea from from owen jones comes back to this idea from the guardian piece that my oppression is your oppression and your oppression is my oppression that when someone in my community or when someone anywhere experiences injustice, we all experience injustice. That our fight is not just for our own justice and our own freedom, but it's for the freedom of everyone. We need to, we're all working toward everyone living in the place that I live in currently. And that now that I am a gay guy who is in a place of privilege and I'm mostly not marginalized. I have two choices. One of the choices is to just sit back on my ass and do nothing and enjoy my privilege and watch other people hurt and suffer, which doesn't make a world that I want to live in. Or two, use my privilege to change 
the to change that. Use my privilege and use whatever skills and whatever means I have to actively work toward the justice of others. Yay! Um, let's let's all be activists. Yay! And I think it's really important, I, and I feel like it, that's part of knowing your history. That's that's another reason why knowing your history is so important. If you don't understand it, then you really just think it's about you. It's also just so incredibly convenient to not know the history and not know just how much of our history is dependent upon transgender activists and to then dismiss them because you think their struggle is different from yours. That's so convenient and so lazy and just so frustrating. Caitlyn Jenner is a great example of that. Trans Stacy Dash. She <laughs> I love that comment that she is the Trans Stacy Dash. But no, like with Caitlyn Jenner in the in the news saying that she wants to be Ted Cruz's trans ambassador, to me is a is a sterling example of how privilege and an ignorance of history equals harm to your community. It's so upsetting and heartbreaking too because when she came out some of the first statements she said were about transgender youth, homeless transgender youth, transgender people of color. And there was this beacon of hope coming from Caitlyn Jenner of, I am the white trans person who will make all the other white people listen because that's what white people do. We only listen to other white people. And it was wonderful and it was great. And then terror and you can't be trans unless you're passing. Otherwise, you're just going to make people uncomfortable. Like, who the hell says that? Who says that? Caitlyn Jenner, who has access to thousands and thousands of dollars of cosmetic procedures and, and makeup and, like, even just, like, fashion styling. Like, she has all this access to things. So, of course, she can become passing. But, like, no, poor child who is who is going through the same exact gender dysphoria I'm going through, you're not very passable, so you're just going to make people uncomfortable. I have lots of feelings about Caitlyn Jenner. Clearly. I have lots of feelings. But it's, it's that equation. It's privilege plus lack of history. Privilege plus lack of knowing about your community. Privilege plus not really understanding the needs of your community equals harm to it. That even though she is someone who is personally experiencing the trans experience, she it's superseded by her privilege as a wealthy white person well i think it's also um it's also it also goes to show that people who are marginalized can participate in marginalization including the marginalization of their own people so like stacy dash can be very can make very racist remarks and make very ignorant remarks about the state of black America, even though she is black, and that does not necessarily make her right. Um, Caitlyn Jenner can make these statements and, and behave in this way, but that doesn't mean that she is actually helping queer people. She can be totally just, uh, she can still contribute to that marginalization. And, you know, to answer Mr. Murray and his suggestion of divorce for the gay and transgender communities language the transgender community is my community you know it's mm-hmm. i don't i don't i don't i don't experience i'm not a transgender person I, i'm not saying that i'm in their community but i i'm with them you know i'm with them mm-hmm. and 
because they feel like until there's justice for them and until there's justice for genderqueer people and until there's justice for bi people, then I don't really have justice. And, like, I doubt he has any transgender friends. Like, I doubt he actually knows any trans people. If he does, they're Caitlyn Jenner. Like, if he does, they're also in an equally privileged spot as him. So if he says these things, they could just be like, yes, of course, you're right. Like... Ugh. And I know I know that we in our in these episodes we talk a lot about privilege. We've talked a lot about privilege. And mm-hmm. we talk a lot about intersectionality and how queer experience connects with race and connects with 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 wealth and, and other all these other experiences. Um but it seems to me that one of the most dangerous things impacting the LGBT community now is a lack of understanding of those things, a lack of understanding what damage privilege can cause if you're not aware of it and you're not actively fighting against it. And we're finding that out the hard way. We're finding that out the hard way. We're seeing a segment of our community achieve a place of non-marginalization. And we're watching that segment of the community turn around and inflict damage upon the very people that they stood next to and fought with to get where they are. And I, like, I, I, I don't want that to be the next chapter of the LGBT movement. I don't want that to be the next thing that we do. We have to be better than that. Mm-hmm. We have to make sure, as a white gay man, I'm a little higher on the ladder right now. I'm not going to keep climbing. It's our job to turn around and make sure that everybody who's on a rung below us gets to where we are so that we can all go there together. Mm -hmm. Because the LGBT community as a whole is an incredibly valid and essential part of the American identity. That story is an incredibly important part of the American identity. And in, in this moment, when you have people like Donald Trump and Ted Cruz who are saying completely horrible and erroneous things about LGBT and queer people. And there are thousands and thousands of people who are cheering them on when they say it. It's very important for us to not splinter the community. It's important for us to recognize that we are in this together and that every one of us needs everyone else to shape the America that we want. So two things. Number one, you heard it here first, folks. Being queer is being patriotic. Secondly, what kind of weird, like, society are we coming up with where the queer struggle actually might benefit from a Trump presidency? Because then we would have, like, another enemy that we could fight together again. How weird is that? That's, that's like, the thing that I was thinking of when you were talking about that, like, how strange is that, that what would unify us is something absolutely terrible that nobody should ever want, ever, like... How weird is it that all marginalized people might come together in that moment because Trump? How weird is that? That's so strange. So, hey, marginalized people, can we do it without Trump? Yeah, can we Can we try doing it? Can we not resort to Trump? Could we try maybe just getting our shit together that, and trying it second, without Trump? The second bearded Trump. Bearded Trump. Wow, gross. Bearded fruit shirt will be without Trump or do not resort to Trump. Let's not resort to Trump. Let's not resort to Trump 2016. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Bearded Fruit. Go subscribe. 
uh, review us, give us some stars. Beardedfruit.com. You can find us on beardedfruit.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Bearded Fruit. Go over and like us. Mm-hmm. Um, share us with friends who are like-minded and queer like you, lovely listener. Share them with your grandma who voted for Trump last week. Yeah, because she needs to hear this stuff too. But yeah, share them Ethel. with everybody. And uh, we will see you next week. How great would it be if somebody had a grandma named Ethel and... You're just like, oh, I'm going to forward this to her. And then she was like, what's a computer? We love you, Ethel. That was ageist. I'm sorry. We love you, Ethel. We love you. All right. And then music play. Let the music play!